bringing us to this wonderful place of worship today. We pray now that our hearts, our minds, our ears will be open and we will be attentive to your word, that your word will saturate us and that we will be excited about it and that it will change us, God. May we leave these doors changed more in the likeness of Jesus Christ forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, I want to read just one verse of the four verses that Pastor Harris uh, read this morning. First uh, Philippians chapter 27, chapter 1, Philippians 1, thank you, verses 20, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I'm continuing on through a series of sermons from the book of Philippians, and today we want to talk about a Christ-honoring church. A Christ-honoring church. Not a church that's set aside to honor people or places or a nation, but a Christ-honoring church. There are misconceptions planted in the minds of people as to what constitutes a Christ-honoring church. For for example, some would say a Christ-honoring church is a place where the leadership, the pastor, the staff, and the leaders are flashy, flamboyant, and even famous. Some would say that a Christ-honoring church can be measured by a large, beautiful building situated on a well-manicured piece of property. Others would say that a Christ-honoring church has numerous programs and raises lots of money. Others would declare that a Christ-honoring church is a place where emotions run high and outward displays of righteousness are evident during worship. Still, others would say that a Christ-honoring church is a place where those claiming to be Christians meet every Sunday at 11 o'clock and most definitely they come back Sunday evening for the 6 o'clock service. And if that's not it, if that's not the case, that's not a Christ-honoring church in the minds of some. Well, some of these components have a place in the church or in churches that honor Jesus Christ, but they are not the foundational components of a church that honors Jesus Christ. So it is today I want us to uh, examine several clear foundational components of a Christ-honoring church as set forth by Paul in the text. To begin with, let's look at the background of the text. Paul was in prison facing a capital charge which was punishable by death. So he wrote a heartfelt letter to his beloved Philippian church family. Think about it for a moment. If you were away 
from your good hope family that you love very, very much. And you didn't know if you would live to see them again, to come back again, to worship at good hope again, to shake the hands of your family members and and friends again. If you didn't know that you would come back and hear another dynamic sermon from Pastor Joe, Pastor Harris, or Pastor Stevens, or Pastor Trudell in his absence, if you just didn't know what kind of things would you write to your church family in a letter? Would you write about the physical building? Would you talk about how, how beautiful our new uh, renovated sanctuary is? Would you write about the budget? Would you write about the fact that we are debt-free as a church and that we paid off two mortgages? Would you write about that if you, if, if you thought perhaps that it was your last time to communicate with your Good Hope family? Would you write about the size of the parking lot? Would you write about the color of the pews and the, the pulpit furniture? Would you write about those things? Would you write about the, the, the size and the color of our church bus if perhaps that was your last letter to the Good Hope family? Well, I don't believe so. Or at least I hope not. I hope that you would write about things that had eternal significance and value. That's what Paul did. He wrote to the church about things that would enhance their effectiveness and their relevancy as a church. He wrote about things that every Christ-honoring church ought to be made of. The Philippian congregation represented a new church plant. They were not a a, a well-established church. They were they, they, were, they were new, and, and they were off to a good start. In fact, they were off to a great start. But Paul's concern was that they remained on track by honoring Jesus Christ in every aspect of their being. We all have known of things that got off to a great start, people that got off to a great start on fire for the Lord, church plants that got off on a great start, but somewhere down the line deviated and got off track. Paul was concerned that the Philippian church didn't get off track. He wanted them to be a Christ-honoring church. Therefore, he presented them with truths concerning being a church that honored Jesus Christ, and he presented these truths to them in the hopes that these truths would be woven into the fabric of their being, died in the wool of their daily fabric, ingrained upon their hearts, and embroidered into their character. In other words, Paul was not writing just to fill time and space. He was writing, trying to get an essential message across to the church at Caesarea Philippi that if you are going to be a Christ-honoring church, 
if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to push back the darkness, if you're going to let your light shine, there are some specific things that you must do. Notice as we look at verse 27, the first foundational component mentioned by Paul is conduct. Now, now when I saw that, when I examined that text, that jumped off the page at me. Out of all the things Paul could have mentioned as a foundational component of a Christ-honoring church, he mentioned conduct. Verse 27 states, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's that's amazing. That 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 really spoke. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means let your behavior, let your actions. Let your interactions, let your transactions all all serve as suitable representations of Jesus Christ. And that's so important because, because, because our actions can either draw people to Jesus Christ or they can drive people away. Philippian congregation read Paul's words and I'm convinced immediately understood what Paul meant. Paul meant that although they were citizens of Rome, we've all heard the old adage while in Rome, do as the Romans do. Paul, Paul understood this and so he wrote the letter. The people understood what Paul meant. Although they were citizens of Rome, Paul reminded them that more importantly, they were citizens of heaven. Dual citizenship, if you will, but, but, but more importantly, citizens of heaven. Therefore, they needed to represent Jesus Christ who made their heavenly citizenship possible through the gospel. They needed to represent Jesus Christ well. They were to live in a Christ-honoring way and not allow ungodliness, ungodly influences to infiltrate their lives or their church. Paul's message of holiness, of living a righteous lifestyle is a clear and relevant example for us in the Good Hope Church family as well as for the Philippian church family. It's clear clear and relevant for us. If it is our heartfelt desire Mm -hmm. to be a church family here at Good Hope that unapologetically unashamedly and uncompromisingly honors Jesus Christ, our conduct must be worthy of the gospel. Yeah, 
Amen. Everybody is in the same category. We all equal at the foot of the cross. So the pastor's conduct and the social pastor's conduct and the deacon's conduct and the ministry leader's conduct and every member of the church's conduct ought to represent Jesus Christ. No exemptions. No excuses. No loopholes. Paul reminds us that although we reside on earth, we are also citizens of heaven. When Jesus suffered and bled and died on Calvary's cross, which we'll represent in in a little while, when we have communion, although he suffered, bled, and died on Calvary's cross, he personally, get this, signed, sealed, and delivered our heavenly citizenship Papers. I want you to know those are some important papers. We ought to take those papers seriously. People who get citizenship papers to go to a country that they really want to be in don't take those papers lightly. They don't take those papers flippantly. They don't take those papers for granted because they are so gracious to be in the country of their choice wherever that may be. So as Christians, his blood has given us our citizenship papers and we ought not take it lightly. Such being the case, verse 27 points out, we ought to represent the kingdom through our conduct. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Back while I was a student at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in Mill Valley, California, I had a classmate who lived in California named Jerry. And since Jerry lived in California, he, he drove his car to classes. I flew from Florida to California. Jerry drove his car. Now, Jerry had a a, a very pretty red monster Miata convertible. But even more impressive than Jerry's red monster Miata convertible, even more impressive than his car was the license plate on his car. The license plate on Jerry's car was the abbreviated word for sojourner. Sojourner means what? Passing through sojourner. One evening after class, Jerry and I had decided to ride to San Francisco for dinner. And so being a Florida boy, I said, Jerry, can we put the top back? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in San Francisco weather, it's not like Florida weather. It was cool. And by the time we got to San Francisco, it was cold. (laughs) But as we cruised down the freeway across the beautiful Golden Gate Bridge, and over 
in to San Francisco, enjoying ourselves, enjoying our conversation on the way to dinner. I rode every mile with the understanding that as nice as San Francisco was, as nice as riding in Jerry's convertible Mazda Miyati was, San Francisco was not my home. I was just passing through, heading back to Mill Valley and eventually home to Lakeland, Florida to my lovely lovely wife and to our lovely Good Hope family. I know where my home is, earthly speaking. The reality for Christians is that this world is not our home. That's what Paul is saying. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. Oh, we have a good time. We enjoy the things that God has blessed us to enjoy, and we should, but we must remember that this world is not our home. Although Philippi was under Roman jurisdiction, Paul was saying, although Philippi is under Roman rule and although Caesar is the emperor of Rome, Paul said to the Philippian church, you as the church, as the church of Jesus and every individual in the church belongs to Jesus. You were bought with a price. Jesus suffered, bled, and died paying your sin debt. On Calvary's cross in full, you owe nothing else. In fact, you couldn't pay if you had something to give. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had made a crimson stain, but Jesus washed. We're clean. Yeah, so you remember your... Your Roman address is temporary, but your heavenly home is eternal. Your stay in Caesarea Philippi is for a season, but your stay in heaven is forever. So in the meantime, Paul wrote, let your conduct reflect, not wrong, but let your conduct reflect your heavenly citizenship. Because if your conduct reflects wrong, you are off the chain. Some years ago, again while in California, I was traveling through Oakland. Oakland is a pretty fascinating city. I couldn't see it all because I had just a short period of time to be there. But 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 students from all over, we we decided to to ride around some. And so and so I, I, I had an opportunity to go to Oakland. While in Oakland, I passed the stadium. You know where the Oakland Raiders. Uh-huh played and 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 there was a sign I mean it was it was way up you couldn't help but see it when you went by this this sign and the sign read welcome to Raider Nation that's what it said that's what it read welcome to Raider Nation now I can tell you what I know and what I've, what I've witnessed, particularly uh, back in my television watching days and, 
and reading and from what people have, have told me in Raider Nation. People dress like Raiders. In Raider Nation, they talk like Raiders. In Raider Nation, they believed like Raiders. In addition, if you were not a Raider and you were in Raider Nation, you stood out in the crowd, and sometimes, depending upon the situation, you could be in danger. That's a Raider Nation. And the church, so to speak, is in Raider Nation. And depending upon the situation, there are times that we will be in danger. Because people act like Raider Nation. But in contrast, notice the words of 1 Peter 2 and 9 concerning the church. Peter wrote, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, not a raider nation, but you are a holy nation, therefore your conduct ought to reflect holiness. Holiness is not a denomination. Holiness is being like the God we serve. First Peter goes on to say, you are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Paul said, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word.